Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Wednesday, February 15th, and welcome to another episode of The Ben Jarofsky Show, brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. So much from your very own Ben Jarofsky. We got columns, we got bonus interviews, we got Monroe Wednesdays. Oh yeah, it's Wednesday, and it's time for Monroe Wednesday. So head on over to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. Find all that extra stuff. You spell that really simply, J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this 1989 Flashback Wednesday, and here's why. I'll tell you why. Because as this mayoral race continues, I am having stronger and stronger flashbacks to 1989. And in 1989, for all you youngsters out there, what happened was there were two black candidates, Timothy Evans and Eugene Sawyer, and they were fighting it out. They were fighting each other hard. Like, who had the legacy? Who could command the legacy of Harold Washington? And there was one white candidate, Richard M. Daly. And he was standing above it all, just going about his business, consolidating his white support, happy as a little clam. And he was victorious. And that leads me up to where we are today, where we have (laughs) history repeating itself with Paul Vallis, the only white guy in the race. Happy as can be, heading all the polls, consolidating his support, while all the black candidates just pound away at each other. Man, Lori Lightfoot is just taking some shots at Brandon Johnson. Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, is all about calling Brandon Johnson a communist. He's going to raise your taxes. He's going to run you out of the city. She's going on the west side telling this to people. You know, he's going to raise your taxes. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's like, if you believe what Brandon Johnson is saying, okay, everything he's doing is to try to force rich people to pay more in taxes so he can pay for more programs in communities like the West Side. But somehow or other, that's getting translated. He's going to run you out of the city. Black people have been living in the city of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, for the last, what has it been, 20 years? least uh and so suddenly it's brandon johnson's fault meanwhile jamal green like brandon johnson's a fraud he doesn't really care about black people he just pretends he cares about black people so he can win white support that is wow what an interesting twist on things (laughs) he's a he doesn't really care he just you know this is how he gets white support by pretending he cares man and then of course uh, Lori Lightfoot is pounding away at uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia, which is technically not black on black political infighting, but black on Latino 
political infighting, which is just, I mean, that's the key to Mayor Daley's victory. He divided the black and Latino communities, and uh, they have remained divided pretty much in this town ever since Mayor Daley. You know, so uh, Lori Lightfoot at the, the debate saying, you don't understand black communities, Chewy Garcia. Chewy Garcia saying, I'm from K-Town. And then there's a debate. Is he really from K-Town? What is K-Town? The city is so twisted and weird, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Meanwhile, here comes Paul Ballas just walking away. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> All the white people are so excited. We're going to win again. We're going to win. Monroe Anderson was talking about that last week. And when we bring him back, Monroe Anderson has joined me, legendary Chicago journalist and press secretary to Eugene Sawyer. So the man knows probably more about the Sawyer-Evans split and how that led to, what was it, 20 years of daily and then a tack on eight years of ROM than anyone else in the city of Chicago. Uh, all right, Monroe, your thoughts, your reaction, your response to where this mayoral election is going with black candidates pounding away each other and Paul Vallis just walking to the finish line. Go ahead. My frustration in 1989 was that the Tim Evans faction was acting like it was just a race between Evans and Sawyer, that the white man didn't count at all. It was, you know, they, the Evans faction was a government in exile, they acted like, and that um, they were going to uh, fulfill Harold's air quotes, um, uh, uh, air apparent business with Evans. And that was it. And of course, it was every, there was nothing right about that whatsoever. So what, what we ended up getting was daily. And so now we we are at risk of getting Dallas. We'll see. And the reason I'm saying we'll see is because 1989 is not 2023. In that times have changed. Chicago's race in 89 was a black white thing, period. Since then, there's been this movement across the nation where Black men and women are getting elected into cities with minority Black populations, sometimes very minority, like 10% or less. Seattle has had a Black mayor. Denver has had a Black mayor. Uh, San Francisco has a Black mayor. Now, none of these towns have anything approaching a major black uh, majority. So people, maybe thanks to Obama, maybe for, for other reasons that I don't understand, um, black people have been able to become mayors of cities without a black population. So, but the question is, has Chicago changed or is Chicago, Chicago? <laughs> Well, that is the question. And I just wrote a column, and I know you know this because I uh, I talked to you about it extensively uh, before I wrote it, uh, about how Vallis has emerged as the great white hope. Right. And uh, I struggle with it. 
because I was like you, Monroe. I'm thinking, well, times have changed. Uh, we, I am no longer living in 1983, you know, or 1989 or what have you. But then I don't know, Monroe. I don't, you're so, the point you made about Chicago, we are such a, like a tribalistic city. And these passions are so deep. And it's like stuff is embedded in our brains. It's so Chicago-esque that I don't know how much has changed in Chicago. When I take a look at this race, this current uh, mayoral campaign, and I look at where Paul Vallis is consolidating his support, you know, in white neighborhoods, and I'm like, hmm. I mean, okay, I'll put it to you this way. Willie Wilson is as uh, pro-cop as Paul Vallis. More. Okay, more. Willie Wilson literally talks about chasing down rabbits, right? right? And children and young black boys. Yeah. So I don't see Willie Wilson signs all over the northwest side of Chicago. I see Paul Ballas signs all over. I don't see white businessmen. I know you got that that flyer. We'll hold off on that. We'll get to that. I don't see white businessmen pouring money into Willie Wilson's campaign. Do you so, follow what I'm saying? Yeah, well, because w- Willie Wilson is funding Willie Wilson. <laughs> so they, he, they, he doesn't need their money. And they wouldn't, if, if Willie was the most brilliant um, politician on the planet, they wouldn't vote for him because he has a seventh grade education. He has a Southern accent. And he's not that type of Negro. That's it, period. End of story. Obama was their type of guy. You know, they were Harvard educated, very polished. You know, if we're gonna have to, we're gonna have a black person. Or and some of them like Harold. Remember that whole uh, um, lakefront liberal myth back in the eighties. Yeah. It is, it is, Actually, it was the progressive. It wasn't the lakefront liberals. It was the progressive, progressives on the lakefront. Yeah, who weren't a majority even then. So, but but it became well. The lakefront liberals are supporting Harold White. All the white people. I've 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 lived in Lincoln Park since 1977, and there's a whole bunch of non-liberals yeah white liberals in lincoln park oh my goodness yes i'm with you on that one uh lakefront what a joke right from liberals but wait let's go back to so i'll uh put the question to you directly for your response do you believe there's a great white hope mentality that is bolstering Paul Vallis's mayoral campaign. Oh yeah, for sure. Because there is in along this part of the lakefront where I live, there is a contingency that of white people that don't like the black mayor, don't like the black state's attorney, and uh, don't like the black judge, chief judge because they're all responsible for this crime. They're letting these um, black people who are nothing but criminals out on the streets. They don't care about crime. So they're letting them out. And let's see, who cares about crime? 
Paul does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it it it's deeper than that. I mean, if I know, like, I'm going to the psyche of people, but like, you just think about what you just said. The chief judge is black. The uh, state's attorney, uh, Kim Fox, she's black. The president of Cook County Board, Tony Preckwinkle, she's black. Lori Life at the mayor of the city of Chicago, she's black. I think a lot, of, a lot of white people are like, you know what? I want a white person doing something. I'm sick of this. I, I think there's that at the yeah, back. That's, of that's how it's supposed to be, white people in charge. That's the natural that's 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 the natural law of politics in Chicago. And well, that yeah, and uh so Paul Vallis is surging in the polls, he'll probably be in the runoff. Uh just did an interview with Greg Pratt of the Chicago Tribune that's gonna drop later this uh, weekend. Uh we talk about uh, our predictions regarding Paul Vallis being in the runoff. Uh, and uh, Paul Vallis is fairly well-funded, uh, so he's got money for flyers and advertisements, uh, and as Monroe has said many times on the show, he, uh, Monroe lives on the north side in Lincoln Park, uh, and um, you received a flyer, you told me, uh, from the Paul Vallis campaign. Why don't you share uh, with listeners that flyer and uh, the pitch that Paul Vallis is making? Go ahead. Sure. It was It was just stuck on my my rod iron fence this morning so i i saw it i grabbed it because i've known paul since i was press secretary um the front of it says paul vallis will make chicago safe period vote or on tuesday february 28th or by mail early exclamation point on the back it says, Paul Vallis will make Chicago safe, period. As a grandson of immigrants who grew up on the South Side, Paul Vallis knows the importance of keeping our families and seniors safe. That's why Paul Vallis will put more police on local beats in every neighborhood, prioritize safety patrols on public trains and buses, create accountability for top police leadership and fire the superintendent. I <laughs> <laughs> buy brow. Nobody, other people going to let you keep your job as Mayor Lightfoot <laughs> in this race. Man, increase security and make our schools safe. Then vote for Dallas by Tuesday, February 28th. All right. So your thoughts on the statement Paul Vallis will make Chicago safe. Well, so will Willie Wilson. Even if you have to kill a few um, young teenage, black teenagers in the process, the cops, the cops get to be cops like, uh, like, like they like to be and just shoot un, unarmed black uh, men. They'll get a chance to do that under Willie's reign. Um, so, so Chewy, uh, Lightfoot has already gone law and order. I mean, everybody, we're in one of those law and order eras right now. It's a, a backlash to the um, the killing of of, of George um, Floyd. Uh, Floyd in 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 Minneapolis. 
and the reaction, the riots that occurred, and then the um, the organized uh, black gang gangsters who were, were were smashing and grabbing as a result of it. They uh, when the riots were going on, and and the the media in Chicago, uh, who all the TV stations now have a if it bleeds, it leads approach to the news. So you get a daily dose of violence, whatever's going on uh, in the city. And so we're there. We're just there. And uh, if there was a shooting, I saw this was maybe six months ago or something. There was a shooting in gunfire. Not that anybody was shot, but gunfire in Old Town. And this white woman was interviewed and she couldn't take it anymore. She's leaving this city right now. She's going to Schaumburg or someplace like that, Naperville, you know, someplace where white people can be white people and, and um, they don't have to worry about black folks so much. So there we go. Yeah, uh, that's where we're at right now in the city of Chicago. Uh, and I, I, just the, the notion uh, that Paul Vallis will make Chicago safe. Um, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, it's not, there's not one person who can quote unquote, make Chicago safe. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, what they've no, what that's code, what Dallas is using and these people, what it means is that the police get to be an occupying force again, even though Dallas does say something about, um, having uh, patrols beat beats in every neighborhood. Well, I know that Lincoln Park wants cops here to feel safe. In fact, um, somebody, there there is now a, a private security force patrolling Lincoln Park, in my part of Lincoln Park. They have green Mars lines. And it says, his name's the security force on the side. And they're, they're driving around at night um, and then you have the Jepal police driving around at night. I mean, this, this this neighborhood where I live is pretty safe, although the shooting of um, the the kid who was a baker who lost his leg is... Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Happening he, around your neighborhood, yeah. Yeah, it happened two and a half blocks from my house. Mm -hmm. So while it's safe, you know, there's no such thing as absolute safety. And um, since I watch local news also, I know that um, people get shot in the suburbs. <laughs> right now, America is, is, is maybe as a knee-jerk reaction, I don't know, to the pandemic, but violence is up across the country from coast to coast. Big town is small. Um, and it's mainly because we got more guns than we got people. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, there's... We talk about violence. We talk about uh, criminal justice. We talk about policing in the show all the time with a wide range of guests. Uh, and it's always a complex discussion and an analysis of all these different factors at play on how we can respond uh, in a way that um, is makes the most sense. And uh, to boil it all down to one man can make Chicago safe is so, I don't know, as simplistic I guess is one word, 
Uh, childish is another word. Uh, demeaning is another word. Patronizing is another word I could think of. And coded, as you said, uh, Monroe, is another word that I could think to describe it. And uh, listen, I understand what the Valence campaign is doing. I understand how politics works. Right. You, uh, it'll it'll def it'll probably get him to the runoff. It may elect him mayor. Um, but I can almost guarantee you that it won't make Chicago safer. Just, just forget safe. Just safer. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, well, it might make it safe. You know, if they put everybody in, if, if they go back to stop and frisk, then you're going to have more young black men going to jail because Kim Fox's position is that some of these kids who are armed with guns, that they get with guns, or have the guns on him not to shoot people, to but for protection for themselves. Like I know a lot of um, men in my age category that were not into guns, but have felt compelled to go get a gun so they could protect themselves. And um, and the teenagers that are at much greater risk, black teenagers in Chicago, being shot without a gun than than I am. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I um, listen. I remember stop and frisk was police policy throughout the '80s and the '90s. I mean, right. And Chicago was always a violent city. It, it was. Uh, there's always been murders in Chicago, so I'm not quite that, sure right. There's a correlation between stop and frisk and right. lowering the violence in the city of Chicago. Right, right. Um, back when I was a Tribune reporter, when I first started as a Tribune reporter in the 70s, they, they, there were places on the south side they referred to as bucket of blood, buckets of blood, nightclubs and, and juke joints. Uh, guns weren't as prevalent then, so the uh, razor blade and switchblades, uh, razor and switchblades were... Um, more um, pro, uh, predominant at that time. But no, there's always been violence. And sh Chicago, in certain areas that are physical, same in Gary. If you grow up in a physical environment where uh, people work with their hands, use their muscles, uh, have not been taught any sort of um, means of de-escalating you get the violence yeah. uh all right i'm gonna attempt it to follow this conversation further uh but i think i'm gonna switch to trump because uh there's been a lot of trump news or uh and MAGA news in general but just your that uh oh my goodness the temptation to to ask you uh let me ask you why is it before we get to trump and MAGA and to, okay. to say why is it Help me, Monroe. Help me with this. You're from Gary, which is a rough and tumble town. Right. Uh, and uh, well, but why is it that like mayoral candidates feel compelled to like to try to prove how tough they are? And and like, you know, all of them are pretty successful. They got nice, comfortable lives. Right. All the mayoral candidates, they got good, well-paying jobs. But everyone has to be I'm tough. I'm from the streets. I'm from K-Town. You're not from K-Town. You're from Logan Square. I mean, I listen to the debates. I'm like, 
you guys are not running for tough guy. You know what I mean? But this is mentality in Chicago. I can't remember if I told you the story where um, one alderman, Ed Burke, threatened to kick my ass at a shouting match <laughs> because he was pissed off because the Tribune quoted me. I mean, when he was announced he was going to run for mayor, they interviewed me as Sawyer's press secretary. And I said he was a pariah in the black community. Ta-da. Duh. <laughs> he was so pissed off at that quote in the Tribune that we were at, at we were at, um, Cups, uh, purple cruise, yeah, lined up oh, for that. Cup, he, Ur, the cup, great cup, yeah, Herb yeah. cup, go ahead, yeah, exactly. He was there and he was about 10 feet, 15 feet away from me, and he was cursing me out and talking about he was gonna kick he ought to kick my ass. Basically, I'm not uh, sure if that's the exact quote or that was the implication. And my reply, being from Gary, was bring it on, but bring it <laughs> on, and in the meantime. He has his bodyguards. Yeah. And I got Sawyer's bodyguards. And so we were not about to get the fight. No. It was like when when Harold and uh, Eddie Rodoliak went out at the city council yeah. floors back in West Jersey, you know, and I'll give you something, a little something you don't want. And yeah, bring right. it on, bring it on. I'm like, you guys are surrounded by cops. There's no, right. you know what? Right. It's like, right. this is not going to happen. I, right. I, I, I don't know. I've never been a fighter. I don't like fighting. I just, have never understood that concept. Yeah, I never uh, liked it, yeah. but I had to do it a lot growing up. I know, I know. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, I know you did much more than I did. I was in Evanston. I mean, I just didn't didn't have that that reality. Uh, but I just don't understand. You know, we we talk about how much we don't want people settling their differences with guns, and then our politicians are always like pounding their chest and you know telling how tough they are. There's so much about Chicago Monroe that I just well, now this is American. I mean, if you watch it, if you watch American entertainment, yeah, that's what's happening. You know, it's like it's fist fights, knife fights, gun fights, fight, fight, fights fight, all the time. I mean, that's 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 part of the formula. Yeah, no, you're right. And I thought about this with The Sopranos, right? It was a hugely popular show, right? Uh, and I, I remember watching The Sopranos like they never lost anything. No matter who they fought, they beat them up. They knocked them out. They may kill each other, right. and the cops couldn't catch them. They were like, "I'm like, God damn, America loves gangsters and thugs and tough guys." You know, you know where 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 I live is maybe three quarters of a mile away from where the St. Valentine's massacre. Yes, on Clark okay. Street. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on Clark Street. Um, also, it's like a. a 12 minute walk to where Dillinger got shot down. Yeah, Biograph. Yeah. Yeah, by Biograph. And all that is American mythology. I mean, they, they make movies about it all the time and it's romanticized. Yeah. You know, yeah. right now the black gangs aren't. Yeah. Uh, who knows what where that'll be in 20 years, 30 years, but right now it's not so romantic, especially to white people. Uh, yeah. All right. I don't think it'll ever be romantic to white people. Uh, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, there's such like romanticizing of the Godfather movies. Yeah. You know, uh, but 
I'm trying to think of like a, a black gangster movie that crossed over and white people loved. I can't think of one. Right now. Well, uh, maybe maybe Bumpy Johnson out of out of uh, Harlem. I don't believe white people are loving that. The yeah. closest one, I, as soon as I said it was American Gangster, which is yeah. a movie from the '90s with Denzel. But I right. think most of the white people were rooting for Russell Crowe's character. Yeah, yeah, that's probably you know what I mean. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> and why would you root for Denzel anyway? Just like, remember when he shot the guy on in the middle of the day and know, weird. All right, let's move on. One guy who yeah, does. To, yeah, to, yesterday was Saint uh, Valentine's Day, right? Yes. Saint Valentine's Massacre. Yes. yes. But, yeah, romanticized, romanticized. Six six men lined up against a garage wall and just executed. Yeah, executed. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think about it. Um, uh, whenever I go past that, I think it's like a senior citizen's home. Yeah, it is a senior citizen uh, home. There's yeah. a sign that watch out for seniors. And one of my, <laughs> I must confess, one of my favorite movies of all time, which I've watched, um, I don't know, a dozen times at least, uh, begins with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre or a, a fictitious a replication of it, of course, uh, and that's some like it hot. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, uh, Billy Wilder flick from the late fifties with Tony. Yeah, Curtis. you know, I haven't. It's one of those things that's on my to do list that I haven't done. Well, I'll come over and we'll watch it together. Okay, it's a fantastic okay. movie. Uh, and by the way, it's there's a Broadway show of it in New York, which I'll probably never get to see unless it comes to Chicago with a black cast. So they flipped the movie. Now it's like a, a black cast, which is supposedly a great uh play all right let's yeah, get down to trump wendell phillips is in from the wire is, is that yeah the yes very good yeah. yeah yeah um all right so let's get let's get down to donald trump speaking of uh guys who like to act tough and brag about how tough they are uh he is under siege on so many fronts uh and um <laughs> uh i texted you all the various trump news uh, but I'm going to start with this one. It's really Trump related. And this one is, uh, I mean, this is just a fascinating insight on where the Republican Party is right now. Mike Pence, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, handpicked by Donald Trump to be his running mate in 2016, who stood by loyally all those years, eight years, uh, excuse me, eight years, four years, it seemed like eight years, four years of Trump, whatever Trump did, Mike Pence stood by him until the very, very end when Mike Pence took a stand against the coup, the attempted coup. Where and Donald he tried not to. That's yeah. important. He tried, he tried, he looked for every which kind of way he could support Trump. But everybody said, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Dan Quayle said, no. Yeah, Trump wanted uh, Mike Pence to recognize a separate group of electors who were just like appointed by essentially Trump uh, to vote to confirm Trump's victory over Joe Biden, even though the people of America voted for Biden over Trump. And you're right. Mike Pence said no, he wouldn't do it, to which uh, Donald Trump called him a pussy uh, on their phone conversation uh, and then incited uh, a riot. Uh, I said, you're not going to be my friend anymore. 
<laughs> no, not my friend, my puppet. You know, he's I didn't mean, even care about his friendship. He, yeah, just he wanted... didn't say puppet. He said, he said, we're not gonna be friends if you don't <laughs> help me with this bloodless coup. Yeah, bloodless coup. So then, so then the insurrection happens. Guys showing up with nooses to hang Pence yeah. for and Channing. Channing, hang, hang Pence. Right, hang. Yeah, right. So here's Mike Pence. And uh, Congress wants him to testify, or the feds want him to testify uh, regarding what he knew and when did he know it and what did Trump say? So they could, like, I don't know, punish Trump for inciting an insurrection. Okay. And he won't do it. He Pence says no. He, he gets, drums up some cockamamie legal theory, which is so bogus, to justify not testifying, not honoring a subpoena. Monroe. What the hell is going on here with Mike Pence? He wants to be president. <laughs> and, you know, and I want to be a billionaire. And neither one of us is going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so what, what, so help me out. Explain that the thought in Mike Pence's brain. Uh, why would, does well, Pence, define... okay, Pence is very religious. You know that, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the point of, you remember Pence has this rule that he, when he eats dinner or lunch, with a, he won't eat it with a woman, won't have it with a woman by herself. He has yeah. to have somebody else. So temptation doesn't get him or something. But, but anyway, Pence, God spoke to Pence and told him, Mike, I'm going to make you president. <laughs> and so he believes this. So, regardless of the logic that you might apply to anybody who's running around at the Capitol chanting, hang Mike Pence, is not going to vote for him for president under yeah. any circumstances whatsoever. So, well, MAGA won't be voting for, for, for Pence. And um, the other folks who hate Trump and watched him suck up and stand silently behind Trump for those four years won't be voting for Pence. So he the uh so he has a very limited support base. Yeah. So uh okay my theory which I will share with you and get your response uh is uh, a lot is that this is motivated a lot or grounded a lot less in religion uh than in pragmatic uh, political calculations. And so follow me on this. Mike Pence's calculation is that if he testifies uh, before the feds regarding what Trump did and when did he do it with the January 6th insurrection, then MAGA will view Pence as a snitch. Okay. Yeah. Law and order MAGA does not. One more inconsistency with the MAGA group. It's, yeah. no, it's and he doesn't want to look like a snitch to MAGA, uh, even though they, so he wants to kind of win him over like he's a tough guy once again, uh, who won't snitch a rat out um, Donald Trump. And so he thinks, oh, if I do this, then uh, they, they'll vote for me, even though there's, as you said, not a prayer <laughs> that they would ever. Uh, so, there, and there's another component that we really should discuss. What's that? If he did testify against Trump, which he will have to do sooner or later. Yeah. The ones that were ye yelling, hang Mike Pence, 
one of them might shoot Mike Pence. I mean, he has to worry about his physical safety among these people. Wow. You know, there's that. There's that. Um, that that kind of raises, uh, since we're talking about the insurrection, I'm going to bring a, a, take us on a tangent here, and we'll get to Ron DeSantis through this tangent. But there was a story, and... Um, that broke, uh, was, uh, I re- it was in several newspapers, I read it, about one of the insurrectionists whose name I don't have in front of me, uh, who was the man with the Confederate flag. So there was one particular yeah, yeah, that, he was well, holding the Confederate flag. That, that never happened um, in the 1860s. Yes, it never. He, yeah, the, 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 flag, the Confederate flag never made it into the Capitol. Capitol. Until January so he, 6th. He not only was holding a Confederate flag during the uh, insurrection, uh, but he, I think he was a drywall guy, he, that, that, that uh, contractor. Uh, and I can't remember where he's from. But he attacked Eugene Goodman, uh, a black man, a black security guard, a black officer, capital yeah. cop, who's been since honored. He attacked him with that flag. So he used the Confederate flag uh, as a symbolic weapon and as a literal weapon. Right. Uh, and he was sentenced uh by a judge in uh in washington i think it was three years he got i'm doing this from memory so i apologize if i'm off but i think it's three years his attorney got up there monroe and argued that this the defendant did not know this what the confederate flag symbolized he did right. not realize the symbolic significance of the Confederate flag as a symbol of the uh, the Civil War and the fight to keep black people enslaved. He was unaware of that. He thought that the Confederate flag was simply a symbol of, what, Southern pride. Yeah. I mean, I read this and I thought to myself, I don't believe that lawyer when he said it, believe it. And I do. Go ahead. They have been raising white children in the South forever, since the Civil War, that the Civil War was not about slavery. It was the war of Northern aggression. Once the schools were desegregated in the 60s and they started moving to these Christian white schools, they left the school system. They were taught the Civil War was a war of Northern aggression. And that uh, the and that all these great heroes like, like Lee, instead of being traitors and insurrectionists, were these heroes. And so this is all, I mean, they were never presented with that other stuff. This is why DeSantis wants to continue this sort of education where uh, white people feel good about themselves and their histories. And so um, they're giving, instead of giving history stories, they're giving bedtimes, fairy tales about how noble the South was and et cetera, et cetera. And this is part of the problem with this country. We have never had a truth and reconciliation process 
where we talk about how horrible things were, how the KKK was a terrorist organization. We don't do that. It's like, oh, it's so, you know, the, uh, the, the, the slaves were happy. They had good masters. It was better than being in Africa. I mean, it's it's still bad, yeah, and, th- right. and this is why. And they want to keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I uh, you made the the direct link that I was going to make. Uh, the ignorance. Let's presume. Well, what I said is I don't believe the attorney believed it when the attorney said it. Oh no! I, no, no! No! Okay. But whatever. But yeah. Okay. That yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he, he, the Pritzker Military Museum. Yeah, I went to a program there maybe seven or eight years ago mm-hmm. where you had this lawyer from the South mm-hmm. who had written a book about the, the Civil War. And he was protesting. At the, he was being interviewed by Ed Tracy. Um, and uh, they had this, this program, the Military Museum had a show they did on military things and they would do all this white lawyer had this show and he was was bemoaning the fact that they were covering up these great battlegrounds in the south with parking lots and shopping centers instead of memorializing them and he if the book was about that he was serious about it and i started to um stand up and question him, but I was the only black person in the place, and and I figured, no, no I, you know, I don't want to get into this. But I started to point out, you lost. Nobody <laughs> celebrates losing any. <laughs> well, I, okay, so we're a, totally on a tangent here, right. uh, within a tangent. I could see uh, memorializing uh, a battlefield or. No, you no, know. no. Well, they, no. I mean, Gettysburg I, I, is, you know, remember Lincoln's speech? We, the yeah, but we won the war. Nobody in Germany is celebrating anything Hitler. No, but what I'm saying is um, we, allowing a uh, shopping mall to be built on a. What, what are you, I, what I'm really asking is like, what is being memorialized when you prevent a shopping center from being uh, constructed on uh, a battlefield where the remains of Union and Confederate soldiers lie? You follow what I'm saying? Like, are you, is the memorial saying th- these Confederate soldiers uh, gave their life to a noble cause? Yes. Or, Okay. Well, yes, yes, yes. Put in the shopping center. That's there. all those statues that they've been tearing down yeah. in the South is about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Many it, of but, which were built years, decades yeah. after the Civil War, um, as 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 part of the Jim Crow yeah. uh, movement. No, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Uh, if your larger point uh, that. The United, well, it really ties into the point I was making about uh, Chicago's mayoral election. But the 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 uh, obsession, the determination of people in our country to uh, rewrite history, so we we do not have to confront just some of the dynamics that still exist today. 
right. uh, is always alive in this country. It's always alive in this city. And I'm like, and again, when uh, uh, when uh, Paul Vallis says, uh, make Chicago safe, Paul Vallis can make Chicago safe. Or Paul Vallis is going to, let's take back our city. I mean, Monroe, I, you know, it's just a hop and a ske- skip to Bernie Epton before it's too late, you know? Right. So, uh, so you're right. And I see a correlation between a determination by Ron DeSantis not to have any kind of what? Um, education. Right. And history. Te- really, yeah. To tell the story <laughs> the way it actually was and what it actually meant. They want fair retail yeah. once upon a time <laughs> we 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 some some people from africa came to america and they they lived on plantations and they helped um um pick cotton and they had very nice masters who took care of them and and then mean old abe Lincoln came along <laughs> <laughs> and attacked the South, and the poor slave had to go actually get a job <laughs> when there was none. Yeah. By the way, I, when you said Abe Lincoln, that triggered this thought in my mind. Uh, we're total tangent within tangents, but so that's how it goes in the Ben Jarowski show. So uh, the Super Bowl just happened. I, I watched it. I presume you watched it as well. Yes, I did. Uh, and two black quarterbacks. Right. And much was made of that. And uh, Chris Berman, who's a, the play-by-play guy, said, and then he pointed out, he goes, and two black quarterbacks and the significance, it's Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And I'm trying to think, like, what? I'm really trying to work through what the connection between Abraham Lincoln's birthday and two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl is. I know there's got to be one somewhere, but I couldn't like figure it out at the moment. Maybe you could enlighten me. Uh, uh, no, really. That's some white logic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I, I need a decoder ring for that. What is it like? Huh? How does Abe Lincoln play into this? Right, exactly. Oh, Abe would be proud. I three plays, <laughs> and two hundred and some years later, they got the quarterback to NFL at the Super Bowl. You know, and I just I'm like a little tired of all the, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like, and two black quarterbacks. I'm like again, you know, that's some of this. Um, yeah, see how good we treat you Negroes in this country mentality. It's so true. You used to be slaves. Now you can be, you can play, you can knock each other's brains out for white entertainment at the at the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's so true. I'm like, guys, can we lower the level on the black quarterbacks? I mean, it just was ridiculous. You know, the prejudice against black. I mean, it is absurd. The prejudice right, against exactly. black well, quarterbacks. Because we were supposed to be smart enough to actually be quarterbacks. Yeah. And they won't say that, by the way. You know what I mean? They'll just go. Oh, no. They oh, won't yeah. spell right. it out. Right. Exactly. But we weren't supposed to. You, you know, many years ago. Now, this must, this may have been 50 years ago. Yeah. So, some white um, uh, marathon runner was interviewed. I read this interview. And, and he was asked why 
blacks couldn't win. They were winning the dashes, you know, the hundred yard dashes, et cetera, but they couldn't win the marathon. And he said, because we were too lazy for that. Wow. I, I, I don't even know quite what and to then, say. Right. Yeah. I know. And then, then, <laughs> and then we get these Africans. These Kenyans, man. <laughs> who can't don't have cars and subways and trains and have to run everywhere they go. And lo and behold, maybe they're not as lazy as you thought. I mean, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. You know, but, but, but wait, don't forget. Paul Vallis will make this city safe. <laughs> Paul Vallis, only Paul Vallis can right. do it. <laughs> and white people are like, yeah, where do I vote? I'm so happy. Right. Finally. Right. right. We, we can get back. No, when, 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 when Sawyer lost to Daly, mm. the white press corps, mm. one reporter, I could name him, but I won't, radio reporter, said, um, well, our guy is back in now. This is somebody who's supposed to be objective. Yeah, no. There's some things I'm telling you, you know, and maybe I spent too much time in therapy, Monroe, for my own good. Uh, but there are just some things that are buried in people's psyches that they can't admit. Uh, and they get angry if you just even raise the possibility. Right. Uh, and uh, but the whole history of race in Chicago and the fear of black crime and the hatred of black people, which goes back to like the turn of the last century, is really deep, you know, and it's and like passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. And to immigrants who come here. Right. I mean, <laughs> you guys well, you, you, well, you do you remember the Richard Pryor joke about which one Vietnamese, the first thing they learned. When they came in, <laughs> you could tell that joke, but I can't. Right. Uh, and uh, no, there's a, a, a tangent with a tangent with a tangent. A really, uh, I think, a compelling uh, TV series on Hulu uh, called Welcome to Chippendales. It tells the story of the, the Chippendales franchise where they had the male strippers. Did you? Didn't you at one point have a career? You were a male strip dancer at Chippendales, weren't you, Monroe? Back in the day. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. I, 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 I auditioned, but they yeah, said, you auditioned. They, okay. They, they said they they, they they said sorry, we'll have a, a underwear with a pouch that big. Okay, okay, let's just clean it up. All right, I should have myself. That was silly. Um, but uh, so. The 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 central the chief character uh, in this show is uh, an an Indian immigrant from India who creates this club Chippendales makes a fortune off it uh, and then begins because he has this notion uh, that white people won't want black people in the setting uh, in the club begins to uh, I, won't, I won't give too much away discriminate against black customers and I'm like wow man it's just Right. It just like this this guy is first of all it's dark skin, you know, number one. Right. But he just bought into it, you know, he came into this country and bought right into it. Well, you know, there's a book, I don't know if you've ever heard of it or read it, but that's entitled How the Irish Became not the Irish uh, the Italian became yeah. white. But yeah, yeah. And that was, you know, they in, in Europe they weren't 
white. You know, they were a little bit too a bit too much Morris blood down there. But they got here and hey. <laughs> yeah. Uh all right. We um uh we went far afield and we'll close with one last piece of news. Uh Nikki Haley, uh the former governor of South Carolina, former uh Trump appointee to the United Nations, has announced uh that she's going to seek the Republican uh nomination. She's the first significant challenge to Trump. Trump has already announced he's going to run. Uh and uh so Nikki Haley. I'm not quite sure. She's been loyal to Trump all this time. How she's going to distinguish herself uh, to the rest of the country that's not totally, utterly MAGA, but she's running. Your general thoughts about Nikki Haley running? uh, She's running against Biden. That's what what she's doing. I mean, she's already... um, I, I, I heard when we talked earlier today, she was on. And so I was listening to her and stopped listening to her to talk to you. But the part that I heard, she was she was talking about how what a terrible shape this country was in because of Biden. So that's going to be the approach. She's going to attack Biden. She's going to help. She's going to basically get in the tag team with Trump attacking Biden. Uh, She she's had a. She had earlier in the week or last week or something, she had a a teeny tiny tap on the wrist for Trump saying that um, we needed a younger generation of politicians. And so that's as far as she will go because she is not really running for president. She's running for vice president. She wants to be Trump's number two person. Wow, because Pence is out. He's he's not Trump's friend anymore. No, he's not Trump's friend anymore. And by the way, Pence, you can run all you want. You're not getting MAGA's vote. Right. He's like, no, you're not getting anybody's vote. You're not getting anybody's vote. Right. Uh, you did the right thing at that moment in time. Okay, on January sixth, when you right. uh, didn't recognize. Uh, the Trump electors, or you did the right thing. I, w- I will credit you for that. But, you know, sometimes doing the right thing gets no reward other than a credit from some obscure podcaster. Just no uh, persuasion. But that's no it. No good deed shall go unpunished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he really hasn't. He wrote a book. It was a bestseller. You know, he's got a government pension. He's, I mean, he, the man's going to have a good life. He didn't just, oh, yeah, yeah. So, he has, he, he has uh, Secret Service police. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's got it. So Trump is right when Trump said he made it because um, because Indiana is next door to us and I'm from there. I know that he would not have been reelected governor. (laughs) You really think that? Wow. He he wasn't going to because he's a bad governor. And he wasn't going to win the election. This is why he jumped at the opportunity. I, I'll put it, by the way, I love Monroe uh, claiming uh, Hoosier statehood. This guy got out of Indiana as fast as he could. <laughs> Never looked back. <laughs> no. Every now and then he goes visits. That's about as close. No, when I was a young, black, militant idealist at Indiana University, I fully intended on, after I graduated, going to work for the Gary Post Tribune and being a part of the community. Mm. 
But then I did my internship at Newsweek at 68, uh, became a BMOC at Indiana University, uh, and had um, opportunities I never dreamed of. Yeah, and yeah. I took them. And in the meantime, um, the white business community left Gary for Maryville yeah, because yeah. they had a black mayor, Mayor Hatcher, Richard Hatcher. Hatcher. Yeah. yeah. So it's and it's all a sad story. Well, it's yeah, that's the history there. But uh, I always laugh. I have another dear friend uh, from Gary, Milo Samarja. Shout out Milo. Just his 75th birthday. Happy birthday, Milo. And he's another one. Grew up in Gary. Horace Mann graduate. Monroe went to uh, Roosevelt High School. Right. Uh, and uh, Horace uh, Mann was integrated. Roosevelt was not. That is correct. Horace Mann. Uh, I think they closed Horace Mann. But anyway, yeah. Gary uh, School and, History. And Gary Roosevelt, too, actually. Got closed, yeah. But anyway, uh, Milo did a, uh, a tour of Vietnam. Uh, and then he, I believe he went to Indiana State. I, Milo, I hope I got it right. And he, then he's got the hell out of Indiana, just like like everybody I know from Gary got out of Gary. And uh, whatever. Now, there's this joke: uh, in, Indiana is a great place to be from, yeah, yeah. far away from. Uh, so, uh, all right, very good, Monroe. I want to thank you very much, uh, as always, every Wednesday uh, on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Thank you very much, Monroe Anderson. Uh, and that story I wrote, which quotes you, uh, will be out really soon in the reader. Um, and I also want to thank, uh, producer Chris for doing an outstanding job as always. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. And don't forget, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and much more at chicagoreader.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.